0: Welcome to yet a new episode of Celebrating Cinema, Yay! Oh,
1: yay.
0: <laughs> a podcast for the love of cinema. I am your host, Sophie, and as always, I am joined by Tom. Hello. And Hugo. Hey. Kiriko is unfortunately not here, but we are joined by Yvonne. Hello. Who is our producer and normally doesn't speak, but today you will be hearing a bit from her as
2: well. Just a little bit.
0: Um, So today we will be discussing the career of an actor that has been deemed Hollywood's most powerful celebrity twice in his lifetime. Wow! He's won many awards, though not including an Oscar, and Steven Spielberg, amongst others, doesn't want to work with him anymore. I would give you a second to guess who it is, but as you're listening to this episode, I'm sure you clicked on his name. So we are talking about Tom Cruise today. Uh, and his infamous, or just famous, you decide, uh, career. But before we jump into that, as always, I will ask everyone what you have watched lately.
3: Go, go well, ahead. I
1: had a screening uh, this week of uh, Speed Racer, the Wachowskis film. I organized it in Amsterdam, so we saw it on the big screen. We had an introduction by media professor Dan Hassler-Forrest, and I can tell you it was a riot. It was such a fantastic film to see on the big screen so colorful, so jumpy, so funny. So uh, I'm still kind of like, it's a sensory overload, so I'm still kind of processing it, but it was, a, it was a blast for sure.
0: I was so sad that I couldn't come because Dan actually inspired me to write my thesis about what I am writing it about today. Which is? Uh, which is what I talked about last time, so the monsters in fantasy. Ah, yes, and of course. Social exclusion, those kinds of things. I followed a course by him and I was like, ah...
1: I can tell you Dan killed it as well in the intro. It was really good. And it made the film all the better. So it was a, was a, was a special screening, I would say. Nice. How about you, Tom? What did you see? Uh, so for the reopening program of our bar, uh,
3: Bar Strange Strangelove, um, I was putting together a program of films that uh, feature a well-known pub or alcohol beverage establishment. Um one of those films is Cocktail with uh, Tom Cruise hey. but uh, a very particular film I wanted to rewatch uh, to see if it still holds up and that was uh, Mike Nichols film The Birdcage mm. uh the remake of the French movie La Cage aux Folles about a gay couple with in this case a I think it's Miami Beach nightclub um who have a son who uh, wants to get married to the daughter of a right-wing politician, and uh, funny stuff ensues, or complicated stuff ensues. Um, and I um, and yes, it holds up. I was watching a hour-long video essay about mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. important it was for uh, sort of normalizing uh, queer characters in mainstream cinema and um and even though robin williams of course starring as armand goldman or <laughs> coldman the d the d is silent in greece or something that's the joke i think in the movie uh he's not gay but he does a he does a fine job in 90s <laughs> in the 90s context acting, of things in acting, in acting um and uh, I was just amazed that it's, it's written by Elaine May, like the old partner of Mike Nichols. Goat. Uh, Elaine May uh, uh, is Elaine the goat. Elaine May is the goat, yes. Uh, it's, and it's written rather fantastically. And it's shot by Emmanuel Lubetzky. Mm. Mm. He's like Steven Spielberg's main guy for a while, right?
1: Lubetzky was yeah. Terence Mellick's main Malick's, guy. Terence Mellick, that yeah. was it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh,
3: <laughs> which also, like, it starts with <laughs> with a with a with almost like a six-minute one taker going through the Miami Nightclub while Dude. we
2: are family
3: okay. sh- shut up you sold yeah. it to me man are you <laughs> okay. are you screening
1: okay. it yes yes okay. I decided
3: that it uh, it's even though it's dated in a in a sort of 90s way uh, it's such a warm film about the clash of uh, uh, queer culture and in this case right-wing Republican G- played by Gene Hackman. Mm. G- I, m- I miss that guy. Um, so yeah, yeah. And now we're going to probably do a sort of uh, Mai Tai tie-in ha-ha-ha-ha. I'm going f- to the be there. And I'm uh, going to be there. It's going to be fun. Yvonne, how about you?
2: Um, I went to the cinema yesterday and I saw Across the Spider-Verse. Mm. How was it? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I didn't have big expectations, but it was actually amazing. Nice. Like, I didn't even see, like, I didn't feel the time going. It was really well um, designed, and just the story was quite good, actually, so... Yeah. Nice. I did would you, recommend it. Did you see the first one as well? Yeah, I saw it on one day to prepare. Ah, <laughs> yeah, nice. That was, good. That that was really, good. Ones, really good. The first one, is also really yeah, good. Yeah, I like that one. I thought it was a bit overrated because people kept on talking about it, but mm. then I saw it, and I was <laughs> like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I see what they see. How about you? Um, so,
0: as is very clear right now I think I'm, I'm writing my thesis <laughs> so I haven't watched anything else apart from the film that I'm writing it about which is also a Marvel film it's called Eternals mm-hmm. uh-huh. it wasn't really well received so is it the one with Harry yes mm-hmm. he was in that for one second in the, in the post credits scene right yeah not right. even the mid credits yeah. but like the post post credits yeah it's not
3: it's the, the one by the director of, of Chloe, Xiu. Xiu. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe yeah Chloe Zhao thank you Yeah, geez.
0: exactly With a very big and very diverse cast that was not well received at all Mm -hmm. it's a really really long film and i have watched i've watched it multiple times over the past two weeks and i'm so sick of it
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: like the 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 dread of like writing a thesis is even if you do it about a thing you love you end up maybe destroying part of that love in the name of science (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) so uh i can't wait until i'm done and i can watch other things yeah well
1: bless your heart and godspeed (laughs) yeah
0: thank you well, oh.
3: talking about destroying the self and uh, representing something A else. Fridge, 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 let's fridge, talk fridge. about Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> but before
1: we do, let me get my glasses because I'm also aging. Oh. I must have been 10 or 11. It was the summer of 2003. Me and my friend were allowed to finally go to the movies by ourselves to go and watch the Tom Cruise starring historic epic The Last Samurai. As fans of both the samurai and Tom Cruise, we were massively excited. We giddily biked to the cinema, a notorious one in the town I was born in, for it was right in the city center, in the middle of a kind of run-down, sad shopping mall you don't see that often anymore. The mall had the reputation of being inhabited by the addicts and the homeless, and I remember vividly that we were quite nervous when we passed the entrance, heading to the cinema. Little did we know that we were nervous for all the wrong reasons, because, to our surprise, we weren't allowed to buy a ticket for The Last Samurai, (laughs) as we were a year too young to see the film without adult supervision. Rarely have I been so disappointed in my life as with the draconian censorship laws of the Dutch non-profit organization called Kijkwijzer. You could say the experience was humiliating, a stark reminder that we were, in fact, still boys. The heroism of Tom Cruise seemed far removed from our everyday lives suddenly, but the hope of seeing this action hero on the big screen lingered. And of course we went back later, with adult supervision this time, and we were delighted with what we saw. Samurai and soldiers, guns and katanas, and of course Tom Cruise chewing the Japanese scenery. Even after the long wait, the film, and especially Tom Cruise, strapped in his samurai armor, still delivered. You could say The Last Samurai has a questionable legacy now. Its white savior narrative is not entirely current, of course, and yet my mind occasionally drifts back to it, for it's maybe the perfect film to take a crack at the mythos and pathos of Tom Cruise. Not only The Last Samurai, but also the last real movie star. We've often lamented the current and pitiful state of mainstream blockbusters in this podcast and we have all the right reasons for it. Cinema as a spectacle is losing its powers. Films that can convince multiple generations to go to the movie theaters in droves are few and far between. Even bankable stars can't save the dreadful and uninspired remakes, pre-makes, prequels, sequels, and other nonsensical multiverse malarkey that is slipping through the projectors like cholesterol in the arteries. And yet, amidst the rummage of this new and failing Hollywood, there is still one man, one myth, one legend, who promises to deliver. His name is Tom Cruise, 60-year-old and still making some of the most spectacular mainstream movies America can produce at this point. I am currently anxiously awaiting the new installment of his Mission Impossible series and that same feeling of giddy returns. That feeling that I had when I biked with my friend to see The Last Samurai is taking hold of me again. Ever since I saw him in the first Mission Impossible, he's never ceased to amaze me, actually. Here's an actor who makes acting in mainstream movies seem effortless. More often than not, he got the parts that actually accentuate his sly charisma like when he's Paul talent Vincent in Martin Scorsese's The Color of Money or jet fighter pilot Maverick in Tony Scott's Top Gun and, of course, Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible series kick-started brilliantly by Brian De Palma. But occasionally, Cruz is turned and lured into showing a different side of himself. The sexual anxiety of Eyes Wide Shut The existential torment of Vanilla Sky and the deep melancholy of War of the Worlds are palpable exactly because it's superstar Tom Cruise playing in these roles. Sure, we can talk about his controversial allegiance to the Church of Scientology or his manic episodes on TV, but such moments feel like mere footnotes in the larger picture that Tom Cruise is now painting the demise of blockbuster cinema, and his last crusade to rescue the movies themselves. Tom Cruise is now the masked man who shouts, the movies are back, in a video in which he sneaks in to see Christopher Nolan's stagnant amidst the COVID pandemic. He's the guy that sends out PSAs to boomer dads all across the world that they should fix the motion moving on their TVs. He's the guy that does stunts in airplanes before screaming in the camera, see you at the movies. And at the movies we will see him, as we will still come to see what Tom Cruise conjures up on the big screen. Simply put, he is Hollywood incarnate, one of the few that still lives and breathes that bit of magic that movie making comes from. He knows that spectacle can be a massive stunt, that he often does himself, or can just be one well-timed, swooning squint in the direction of the camera. He truly is the last samurai, fighting for a dying empire and willing to die for it himself. And I am here to witness it all on the big screen, along with him. Woo! <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> Well, that was my big uh, love letter, maybe. He's the Messiah reborn! <laughs>
2: yeah, well,
1: that's actually what I kind of wanted to talk about with you guys in this episode, that, you know, for for in this time that we're living in now, it seems like Tom Cruise has turned into a kind of Jesus figure for cinema itself. But before we maybe get to that bigger part of the story, I wanted to ask if you ever had that same moment, maybe when you were young, where you saw him for the first time and figured... Well, here is a movie star.
2: I think the first Tom Cruise movie I saw was Mission Impossible.
1: Simple game. Is he serious? Always. It's much worse than you think. We're being ambushed. Abort, that's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming.
0: Oh, do you read me?
1: I don't care how he did it. I want to know why he did it. You're worried about me.
0: Why you survived. I'm sure we can find something I have that you need. I'm
2: sexual! No one sent me! These guys
1: are trained to be ghosts. Let's not waste time chasing after him. Just make him come to us. Find something that's personally important to him and you squeeze.
2: And how did that land with you? Did you like it? I was so young. I was like so impressed. I was like, wow, he's doing all these stunts and it's looking so crazy and he's gonna do what he come to, came to do, you know? So, yeah. I, think I so. don't think I remember what the
0: first time was I saw him. I think a very clear memory that I have of watching one of his films was the Mummy remake mm-hmm. with my parents. And after. We saw it, my mom very loudly declared that she was never watching a Tom Cruise film <laughs> ever again.
1: But that film is that, just well, <laughs> <but> that's <laughs> like really I, bad. I I like gracefully skirted over some of the films that could be seen as quite questionable as well and are maybe part of some of the problems that I were actually the, uh, uh, the illustrating. The best
3: thing about the Mummy remake was that when the they started the promotional campaign, they released they were so uninvolved apparently that the studio released a trailer without any sound except for people screaming so in the beginning of the, f- <laughs> play, in the beginning I you remember see you remember this, this? I remember it's, it's this one this of the funniest so things ever you just see like <laughs> totally a, there's, a, there's an airplane crash at the beginning of the trailer <laughs> and you just hear you see, see like people f- going like through no a plane but there's no sound so it's like almost like a shredding like somebody shreds like a, that somebody puts wrong sound on it uh. and you just see like Tom Cruise going like
2: oh my what god <laughs> No. Mm.
1: That was such a comic moment I, and I think it also films like this motivated him maybe back into a bit more of a Quote unquote" quality control because you literally in Hollywood at this point maybe your bankability is as much as the last couple of films that you've been successful in and more and more which I also said you know uh, actors and actresses lend themselves to big IP movies you know to major franchise films that seem to be really failing you know there's a lot of major films this summer going into the blockbuster circuit that are actually not performing well so this idea that if you're a big star, you're an automatic cash generator doesn't really apply anymore. And I think he also had to learn that the hard way with a film like the Mummy remake that you can yes. also actually fall very flat on your face. <laughs> As <laughs> yeah. I am the
3: oldest person at the table, <laughs> even though you are now wearing your glasses, uh, that's ageist, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I can I can suck this conversation back into time because if like last the last summer so the last is where it starts for you. But like where it starts for me is Rain Man. Wow, yeah, different different
1: times. Like yeah, you're remember, old old. I so. am old old. <laughs> so, like
3: Rain Man now, deeply problematic film of uh well, I don't know how you do that film ever again, but uh <laughs> multi-award winning film about a, a guy who sort of actually kind of misuses his autistic brother to at one point, win a lot of money in a casino. Um, that's a really young Tom Cruise. And then for me, it, and I think after that you have, I was looking this up because I, I can't, re- can't remember things. Oh yeah, and A Few Good Men. The, yeah. the, the absolute uh, banger with Jack Nicholson and uh, Demi Moore and such a great fucking film.
1: Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do.
3: Object! And when it
0: went bad, you cut cancer. these guys
1: loose! Your Honor, you are margins inside a bony transport. Your Honor, her. you doctored the logbook! Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red?
3: You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to You them. want
1: answers! I want the truth!
3: You can't handle the truth! Uh... And that mission impossible for me. I, I, I one of the things that I don't know, but maybe this is mini movie cinema obsession session. Tom is that a thing that I sometimes randomly say is red light, green light, <laughs> which is the <laughs> which is the <laughs> chewing gum that he has that he gets in the beginning of the film that when com- when the compounds are combined they explode yeah exactly and it's such in such a beautiful Hitchcockian way the Palmer shows you all the way at the beginning of the film when he's there with the guy like Kittrich, the guy from the what is he do? It's CIA, right? He's yeah, CIA, yeah, but, yeah, he's yeah, CIA. So uh, to explain to him how the what what's happening to the mission that they're on is all going haywire, blah blah blah, and then he he combines the chewing gum and then puts it on a on an on an aquarium and the entire restaurant sort of explodes. I and then all this, huh? the way at the end of the film, he does the same thing when the helicopter with Jean Renault is like following him on the on the train, at, in in a tunnel. Really, really, okay.
0: Wait, sure. a helicopter goes into a tunnel? Oh, yes, yes. yes the the we should explain in in this. Like the, uh, yeah. the, the
3: big set piece at the end of the mission, first Mission Impossible film is that, spoiler, Jean Renault is a traitor and he's uh, going to kill him and he's flying a helicopter which uh, Cruise connects with a chain to, to the train so the helicopter mm. can't go anyway and it's like flying behind the train. Oh, like but then the, the, the train goes into a tunnel so he has to sort of but wow. the, okay. train. No, so the yeah. helicopter follows the train. But then the Jean Renault, in this weird sort of, I'm a bad guy. I must kill you now with my helicopter. He starts like flying closer to the train with Tom Cruise like hanging back on the on the last sort of train. What do you call that? Like thing. The uh, last wa- wagon. wagon. No, the last wagon, exactly. And then the, the sort of blades of the helicopter come closer and closer and closer. And then... Cruz jumps onto the helicopter, and through the, <laughs> through the window screens...
1: Red light! Green light!
3: Red light! green light! And then sticks the chewing gum on the helicopter, and then jumps, and of course the explosion is behind him, so he, like he gets pr- thrusted back, on back, back, back onto the, the train. Yeah, that's how it that goes. Well, that's that's, ball, movie, right? magic. that's yeah. movie magic. That's oh, movie magic. Always
0: easy. when these kinds of scenes happen, do you guys know The Lonely Island? No, yeah, no. yeah, the, you yeah. Mean the yeah. Guys. Yeah. yeah, they have this song. It's called um, "Cool Guys Don't Look at Explosions." Oh, exactly. Yeah. Always yeah. when these kinds of scenes happen, I start bursting out into song because yeah, that's what you have yeah, to do. That's exactly it.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. but the yeah. funny thing is, you know, that the lonely island thing. I think you could. Like, you know, that's very much based on the Michael Bay kind of style of filmmaking. You know, it's Bad Boys where, you know, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith make a car yeah. explode and they walk away from yeah. it. And they look really fucking cool doing it because Bay is great at making cool shots. But Bay also has this kind of like building irony where it's like, look at me doing like silly movie stuff. And... Um, in some ways, I love Michael Bay, but often, more often than not, it seems that he sometimes doesn't even believe the things that he's doing in himself. And there's maybe a very endearing aspect of Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, mostly, is where they actually believe it. They actually do it, and they're like, no, but this is Ethan Hunt, he just does all of this stuff. And that gets, like, more exaggerated as the series picks up, because it is always an inherently silly series, you know, like this... Uh, your anecdote perfectly you know is a great example of that but then the film series becomes more in a strange way serious and the set pieces become more extreme and they have place a bigger emphasis on the physicality of it and that Tom Cruise is actually doing it and carrying it with his own body and there I think that kind of like little bit that Jesus complex comes in that he has to like die almost for the movies with his own body almost to absolve Hollywood of its own sins or something I really see that big but it's like he, he was watching Marvel films
3: and was seeing that everything was becoming more CG, more CG. Everything is more just CG. like... More de- CG and dehumanizing. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to make this as humanly as possible. I'm going to break my ankle on every film. Yeah, exactly. And then it also just becomes a thing. Like, wh- oh, he breaks his ankle in? I can't even remember which one that is. Where, where he... He he's jumps running. to the building, Yeah, right? he runs right. to the building right. and then he... You, there's a... there's a You can actually find this online. Yeah, you can actually, actually is, see the shouldn't be called shot. a blooper, but yeah. you can actually see him break. The ankle, yeah, but um, of course, they make a thing out of this on a regular movie. If somebody breaks their ankle, nobody that's it's not really a point. No, but everybody's not,
1: kind of like that's kind of like a work yeah. hazard. <laughs>
2: that's <laughs> stupid,
3: yeah. He must what is what how are studios even because what he's doing is absolutely something you, you, you couldn't do for like a long He's the only guy that can actually get out of probably contracts that just because the studio will lawyer the fuck up for you not to break your neck, literally. The
1: thing is and then he becomes connected to so many important parts of film history that we should absolutely mention because this connects him to Jackie Chan, connects him to Bruce Lee, connects him to Buster Keaton. There's just like such a, and to Howard Hoggs and other people as well, there's like such a lineage of people uh, that go all the way for what they want to show in front of the camera and he does it in the most strange circumstances, which are mainstream studio Hollywood films right. that are lawyered the fuck up and don't want you to do anything crazy anymore. These they these are studios that are making films with total control themselves. And then here you have a guy that has still so much power and so much weight that he can just say, no, 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 we're going to do it my way and it's going to be crazy. And I mean, of course, you know, these films are done with such great preparation and care. And if you see all the things that they do behind the scenes, you know, most of it seems seemingly fine. But at least there's a guy that actually wants you to go to the movies and believe and this belief, this is just kind of like the thing that I've latched onto a lot with him. And that kind of like harkens back maybe also to some of the films, Tom, that you were talking about of his earlier career. Like when I saw him for the first time in The Firm or, you know, later in Eyes White Shot or especially in one of my favorite Tom Cruise films and probably my favorite Steven Spielberg film ever. And you referenced it earlier, War of the Worlds which is just such a tremendous film. 8.30?
0: We said 8 o'clock. it Dad.
3: Get
1: a hug?
2: Robbie's got a paper, which he's yet to begin.
1: I just gotta type it up. You just
2: gotta start writing it first. Take care of our kids.
1: You got nothing to worry about. That is so weird. The wind is blowing toward the storm.
2: It's
1: okay. Lightning doesn't strike twice. Where is the thunder? Robbie, you saw the lightning? Yeah, 26 times on Lincoln Avenue. You feel that? He's such a like and that's the cool thing like many of these guys might be very vain and we can be certain that Tom Cruise is a very vain man as well <laughs> however no however he is such a sad fucking guy in that movie and he like he pulls it off even though you look at Tom Cruise you also believe that he's the most divorced guy ever that has to get his children to their mom during like an alien invasion um he pulls that off as well so i'm kind of like still i guess in this just f- like free flowing appreciation of him but th- it gets to the core of why he is at this point one of the few special actors that we have in mainstream america But there
3: there there, there are two things here that are interesting like you have of course like the camera cl- what you mean is like the camera clearly loves him like mm. he has a sort of uh, at least for me, if he's on screen, you have to watch him. Yeah. Even he's though magnetic. He's yeah, extremely he is magnetic. Yeah, And even though sometimes for, even though I think that's died down a bit, but it's it was harder in the period where the focus was really on the Scientology stuff. Yeah. And on he, on the Katie Holmes marriage and yeah. him jumping on Oprah's couch exactly. and uh, and uh, him and and that one video of him laughing and then clapping yeah. his hands, which is just like the most maniacal, maniacal yeah, super <laughs> maniacal <laughs> fucking dude. Um, it's it's weird to it's weird to not also see that when you watch his films, you sometimes want to also because you want to know to kind of know the guy when you see his films he's portraying a character but then you when you're watching it you're also thinking about who who may who we, who is Tom Cruise really the weird thing is that especially with a movie like Magnolia where mm-hmm. you have the feeling that there are things merging there yeah. where the sort of uh the performative aspect of him outside of his acting career if that makes sense yeah yeah becomes this thing like the what is, is Frank D.J. Mackey's quote again? Like, uh,
2: respect the
1: cock and tame the cunt.
3: Please put just put this audio quote in and not me saying this. Uh, that's now saying <laughs> in. I know, uh, <laughs> but um, but then that that suddenly really changed in 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 recent years. Like yeah. somewhere around Jack Reacher. Like the Jack Reacher films aren't really that good. No, but they uh, are Even though... Capable. Uh, and we talked about this on last episode, where Nehartshock is great in that film. Um, that was really, really confusing of. for myself. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs>
1: anyway, um, what did I want to say? Um about his kind of like tarnished reputation, and how some directors work yeah, with it. Yeah, now it has it
3: uh, it has changed mainly due to, due to his own accord. Like, yeah. well, he he he's very aware now of the sort of bringing it back to a visceral blend of cinema where you can actually you can feel action in almost like a. Very old school 90s way.
1: Oh, 80s, 90s way, where it's just like the physicality. But that's why, like, and I'm wondering what you guys think about that as well, because that's why, you know, maybe it's uh, exaggerated, but maybe also not. Like, who else is there that still gives that kind of spectacle on such a level and, you know, is successful in it? And Tom is totally right that in doing so and finding that gap, maybe he really scrubbed off a lot of the blemishes of his reputation and became a more wholesome figure Uh, i'm not sure how genuine the wholesomeness is but nonetheless it stands you know when you look at him now he stands for something different than when you looked at him at the beginning of the 21st century but you know like i painted a pretty dire picture of hollywood but don't you guys agree that there is something the it factor is kind of missing in many movies nowadays, and, and in movie stars
2: mm-hmm
3: i mean i i don't think that there are many of this caliber that have that that have such an impact and have such a sellability and such also such a magnetism as as crews but they, this might also j- just be very very in, influenced by nostalgia
1: yeah what do you guys think
2: i agree with tom that we don't really have movie stars anymore but also just in music I feel like we don't have pop stars anymore right. and um, with Tom Cruise when I think about him now I'm just like he's the guy who's saving cinema because that's basically what he's saying that he is that he's bringing the audience back and I mean he is a really magnetic guy and when you look at his film you just I mean, you really want to start him. And I feel like Ice White Shot is actually my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And nice. I think that it has a lot to do with him. So. Well, yeah. and there you again, that's the
1: perfect example of a film just like Magnolia, where you have a director that understands that they are working with Tom Cruise. And this is always very interesting to me when you have that power dynamic because directors are not done, you know, but some of them have to be a bit more in service of the executive producer slash actor as some crews often is in his own films you know Uh, but then you have people that actually know how to take that really raw unbridled energy that's part of their reputation and convert it into something much more layered and complex and meta that's and I don't know, you know, because I was white shot is probably slightly also responsible for the divorce of Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, well, but it revels in their like anxieties that they already had. And Kubrick is not a crazy guy. He understands that they had those anxieties and I think he feeds off of them and converts it again back into movie and, magic. And,
3: and lest we forget, this was a film that, uh, took, I think three years to make. They were like filming for such an incredibly long time. So there must have been like a lot of trust between Kidman and Kubrick and Cruz there. Yeah. And a lot of annoyance as well, probably.
2: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I think they were already going through their issues. Yeah,
3: they yeah, already true. were yes. in a On pretty rough spot. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and then, you, then you get thrust into a film that, as uh, our, the friend of the show, Slavoj Zizek says, is all about how male fantasy is just shit.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And he actually made them go into psychoanalysis treatments, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That
3: can't be
0: <laughs>
2: crazy.
1: that's pretty rough. Yeah. And then you have that like there's just shots in in, you know, eyes wide shot that even for Ice all the sh- shots. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, my god. But even like um for for all of its major sad pieces and more like, you know, incredible scenes, just moments of him alone in a car with just his own anguish those are the moments that really get to me because you feel them and that's crazy because he's like such a huge like i don't know there it's it's kind of like having like with a musician or something to see him then in the most like skeletal form to see like the bare essence of who they actually are it's such a rare insight into somebody's creative you know state and and emotional state as well Often these people are, of course, very reserved and have a very strong facade. So how much, you know, talent and skill and and, and sly cunning wit does it take to actually break through that facade and see a bit of the raw Tom Cruise underneath the entire thing? That's fascinating to me.
3: It's even the thing with Tropic Thunder, right? Where he's playing, that uh, I believe, a producer that he hated, but then a sort of, it's probably Harvey Weinstein, but... This last ghostman who is this?
2: This is flaming dragon.
3: Oh, okay, flaming dragon. Fuck face. First, take a big step back and literally fuck your own face. I don't know what kind of
1: pan-Pacific bullshit power play you're trying to pull here, but Asia Jack is my territory. So
3: whatever you're thinking, you better think again. Otherwise, I'm going to have to head down there,
1: and I will rain down on a godly fucking firestorm upon you. You're going to have to call the fucking United Nations and get a fucking binding resolution to keep me from fucking destroying you. I am talking scorched earth, motherfucker. I will massacre you. I will fuck you up.
3: (laughs) So he apparently also has a sense
1: of humor, which yeah, uh, he, I don't know. And but. probably has some <laughs> apparently. bones to pick. Apparently. <laughs> he has apparently. some bones to pick and he knows how to, but that's, he knows how to take a film and use it for his own good. And then occasionally you have a director that knows how to take him and, right. you know, use it for their good or something. It's a, it's an interesting kind of like power dynamic. But, but in
3: that sense, what do you now think th- there's the relationship between him and Corey? Christopher Quarry, which is now like, and the, and the other director that he's now constantly working with, uh, Joseph Kaczynski. I would say probably that it's it's like he's found his bros or something. Yeah. I think
1: it's a near kind of like, I feel like the, the, you know, Quarry, he's the director of all the late Mission Impossible movies. I think Kaczynski made the new one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, all the stuff like Mission Impossible Fallout and stuff was Macquarie yeah. and then Kaczynski's doing the Death Reckoning, I think. Yeah.
3: Um, and th- and important is to note that Christopher Macquarie McQu- was the guy that made Valkyrie, but also the yeah. guy who wrote the screenplay for the usual suspects.
1: Exactly. But um, I think they have found, like, they have found an equal footing because I feel like they are all kind of, like collaborators working for the same goal and the goal is very simple is to make a good movie <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's just like simple as that but maybe that's kind of like the crazy thing is like how lo- like how far have we sunken that, that the bar is that low you know like just and that you know that brings me to Jim Cameron because isn't he the other guy that is trying to do the same but in his own way you know With the Avatar movies just to raise the bar of mainstream spectacle movies and actually make a fucking good film. It's as simple as that, but those are the two guys really doing it now. But that's an
3: interesting interesting parallel because in a sense that I get it, but in another way, uh, Way of Water was the sort of maybe... I understand it was a mainstream... um, Temple film made in not the way that we see a lot of mediocre Tosh being made by Hollywood. But then again, it's it it doesn't have the sort of visceral old school Hollywood vibes. I that, disagree, I yeah?
1: disagree. I think it has. It's the only film with that technology that does. Um, but the, and uh, Yeah,
3: the, with that technology, okay, but it's a very technological film in that in that in that sense. But I, I don't know. I but, mean,
1: CJI heavy in that. Time. But there's like, I don't know. Have you guys seen the Avatar movie?
0: Not the no. new one. Oh, I I'm still have to. S- I'm
1: sorry for you guys. Uh, like that's a film you want to see in the cinema because... Or underwater. There's, there's, there's like, a, there's just a couple of moments and, and fighting scenes and action scenes that have, all of them actually have the weight. They have the physicality, but most, like most importantly, this is a guy that with Avatar said, I this film will only make a profit once it cracks like one yeah, billion or something. I think maybe, so maybe the risk-taking is there as well.
3: Yeah, the risk-taking is there, but maybe it's more, even though Avatar is a o- original IP, an original IP that he came up with, I fi- maybe it's also much much more in there somewhere, but the same thing with Mission Impossible, just also very much just... The same IP, <laughs> yeah, no, and yeah, yeah, but it's it's done in such a way where that where almost that doesn't really matter. Where where I have the feeling that that especially like Marvel films or DC comic films and stuff like that and a lot of uh, superhero things are just the constant same narrative rehashing mm-hmm. of the same thing and then it's this guy and then it's the flash and then it's this and <laughs> the that. The
1: flash? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. How did the flash not is get cancelled? Is, is but any <laughs> of you going to see the flash? That's a big question as well.
0: I'm I not, am not. a D- DC person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh,
0: I also don't understand how there was a different flash and now it's a new guy.
1: Yeah, we need many flashes. But so... We've been ranting or raving a bit about you know Cruise, but you know we got the new Mission Impossible coming out. Is that then still like, if we separate all the nostalgia and whatnot, is that a film that you are still interested in seeing? Like, are you as thrilled as I am, or is that just my
0: probably not as thrilled as you are? <laughs> seeing <laughs> how you're so right as as you <laughs> are smiling right now. Okay,
1: that's a guided question.
0: I mean, I don't mind watching <laughs> it. I. I wouldn't <laughs> run to the cinema to go see it, but I don't know. I think I'm still a bit of a Tom Cruise skeptic.
1: What makes you just but skeptic?
0: I realized I do very much agree with the like magnetism and the the, the status that he has because when we decided to do this uh, episode, I thought, ah, Tom Cruise. I know him. I I have seen all his films, and then I went to look at his. So look at all the things that he do, he's done and I have seen barely anything. Mm. And that was very interesting to me that I feel like I have seen all of it and I know him very well, but I've seen barely anything, which I think is a testament to how visible and sort of knowable he feels in our uh current times and i
1: think it like depending on which films you haven't seen there's there's a couple that have like a less less clean image of Mm, him mm, that are often the most fascinating one that nowadays more flies under the radar it seems is vanilla sky i'm not sure if you've seen that one one. what do i would this pleasure the pleasure of sophia i would spend the rest of my life with that girl man i am not going in there oh yeah good night
0: my heart going boom, boom, boom Grab your things, I'm gonna take you home It's beautiful
1: How much for? One kiss That smile is gonna be the end of me
0: David Ames You're following me I just felt bad at your party I mean, When did you stop caring, David? Slow down, Julie when you sleep with someone your body makes a promise whether you do or not do you believe in God
1: yeah that's such a cool film it's a remake actually of uh, another like f- fantastic film abrebra los ojos but f- but uh, Vanilla Sky is just as good as the original, mostly because of Cameron Diaz and Tom Cruise in it. But that's the film hey, that they give Penelope Cruz. Some, oh, some of course, yeah. why not? Yeah, of course. No, true. You're right. Um, but like, he has crazy movies. Like, he's got mm-hmm. some like. And then my, one of my favorites still, The Color of Money, the Martin Scorsese pool movie um he's so young and cocky and like just he has so much bravura and it like the camera loves it and he loves it and you see it and that kind of like dynamic where they're both feeding each other like yes go like act more and he's acting more and it's like yes film me that kind of like but that's like a
3: me- that's a meeting of two because right. Newman yeah. Newman is also, like, the epitome of mm. something that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, this kind
1: of, like, old masculine cool, this, you know? This
3: is what you'd, what you'd want to give Tom Cruise for when he's even older, is become Paul Newman, you know?
1: Well, the passing of the baton, and that maybe is a good bridge to talk about this queer kind of, like, state where Tom Cruise is in now where he still wants to save cinema, but at the same time is, I think, also getting self-reflexive and aware in his movies of his own age i mean he's 60 and he knows he like i really have the feeling that he wants to literally die during the film and <laughs> not like, just break like, an ankle no just i break feel it
0: like doing like a can, stunt preferably like, yes
1: i feel like he wants to actually die on camera that that is basically what he's setting himself up to and if you watch his later f- films you know and most Uh, I think most poignantly in Top Gun Maverick you really again feel that passing of the baton moment for him where he has to also acknowledge listen guys I am getting old and there's a new generation and it can't only be Tom Cruise anymore and that entire film is set up that it deals with his legacy and then has to find a place for that amidst a young generation that doesn't see the same values or merits as he does and I think that film did that very sophisticatedly, but is in that sense, kind of like a really uh, strong reminder that he knows that he's approaching the end of this star power, you know, he can't do that till he's 80. He's not Joe Biden, you know, he can't stay in, in power till 83 or something. I.
0: I have a question, because I asked you beforehand also why Top Gun Maverick is such a good film. Mm -hmm. Are you saying now that it is because it's about Tom Cruise and it's only because he is in it and it's about him? That's such a good
1: question. Wow. Um, Yes. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, like, okay, so with Top Gun Maverick, I think it's about three people. It's about Tony Scott, who passed away tragically. It's about Val Kilmer. Who is terminally ill and everybody knows that? And he's Tony Scott, the director, by the way. for Yeah, so Tony Scott knows. is the director of the original Top Gun, who uh, tragically passed away. And then it's about you know Val Kilmer, who we know is sick and is approaching death. And then it's about Tom Cruise in the midst of that. Because Val Kilmer in the original was kind of like his whole you know body and a very close friend. His wingman, in a yeah, way. His windman, yeah, his wingman. Yeah. And this film has to reckon with one loss, one anticipated loss and with one person that feels, I think, that he has to already make the gesture that we won't have him forever. And that combination of those three things, it's like it's a sad meta story of the film. But the film knows it. It's a very self-reflexive film. It's a very conscious remake and it hits all the right notes and knows when to, you know, tactically circumvent some other stuff. And... Yeah, and the exactly best works. thing about
3: it is that the way you describe it now, if you haven't seen this film, you would think that it's incredibly freaking sentimental. <laughs> it is, but it is a very sentimental <laughs> yes, movie. Yes, but in in a way where is it's it? where it's
1: very uh, where it's uh, still heartfelt for some yeah, reason. Yeah, but, but like okay, but wait, don't get me wrong. And I think a lot of people know, like on the record, I sentimentality <laughs> yeah. can be heartfelt. Yeah. I love yeah. sentimentality. Like I wish more films would be. Isn't the big problem maybe that I was talking about with these, you know, with the sh- shitty-ass films, isn't that they are not heartfelt? And sentimentality can be heartfelt. wait, wait, wait wait, 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 heartfelt. wait, wait, You saw the new
3: Indiana Jones film. Yeah. Which also apparently has a passing of the baton yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it tries in it. to does the same thing. But, but it so what is what is what is it? because uh, the thing is if you that's what I wanted to say is like if you describe Top Gun Maverick and the passing of the of the baton thing, whatever, blah 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 blah, and uh, the heartfelt mm-hmm. scene of uh, of uh, 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 Goose, yeah, yeah, not being able to talk, and then them because he well because Kilmer has throat cancer, and then them hugging and that. Well, I was tearing up a bit, and I'm not even a really big fan of the original Top Gun. I was like, why? Why, why is it different? Why? Why it's been done before? It's, it, we are constantly doing this because IP needs to travel from one generation to the next. So, yeah. uh, a property like Indiana Jones needs to now go to my brothers and their brothers, etc., yeah. etc. So we can like milk the cow for the ages. What's different?
1: Um, yeah, well, the new Indiana Jones. I think Sucks balls. <laughs> First of all, it does. <laughs> My God, it's a bad movie. But the reason why it's bad is because I think it thinks that if it can just play the lip surface that it's already doing enough. Mm. Uh, whereas it's not, it's not questioning, it's not adding, and it's not being sincere. It's a film that tries to rekindle an old flame it's kind of like having, you know, a, a prior love affair, you know, you have, and things have, you already kind of like died out. And then there's one more frantic push from one side of like, no, let's try to light that fire again. Let's try, you know, but then if it's not reciprocal, if it's not met, then it's just unwarranted and kind of... Uh, a shame of everybody's time and effort and energy. And I feel that that is very much the case with Indiana Jones, where they're basically also, big mistake, are trying to shit on the fourth Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is highly underrated movie. Um, no, it is not, but please continue.
2: <laughs> but they're trying
1: to say this film... Sp- basically stinks and we're gonna do it better but they don't so it's already like disingenuous right. in in at a heart and here you have the rare mainstream movie Top Gun Maverick that actually knows how like like you say I I don't have any feelings for the original Top Gun I don't really care for that film that much and then you have a film that actually so acutely knows how to posit itself amongst us, the viewers, and them, the creators, and it just clicks, and they keep it small and simple and real. They keep it mostly real, and it's just, it could be the way that they but shoot it, it could be the way that it they has, act. Has It to do with stakes, because I now f- suddenly realize that
3: uh, I can uh, mention the best superhero film ever made. Which relates very like which which is a movie with stakes, which is a movie with imminent death. Death is in a film that is there to entertain, which is Logan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a movie that I really really love. Which is a which is the Wolverine, uh, the end of an era, Hugh Jackman
1: film. Yeah, and directed by James Mangold, James who now Mangold. fucked Indiana Jones into. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening there? <laughs> it's just it's like who's in control you know the studio was like oh we need to make an Indiana Jones that exactly feels like the old one but you can't copy that shit anymore you know it's like a different film and the Top Gun movie to go back to your question Maverick it is not like it's replicating some parts or it's echoing but it's not copying and this is a massive difference that you actually honor the thing of the past without actually trying to make this silly pastiche, and it's an aura thing mostly, and it's so hard to put in words. I was like, I was writing a review about the uh, new Indiana Jones, and I was like, God, how do I <laughs> fucking even describe in words like how disappointing it is to see a thing that you've known and you kind of loved, I guess, and just see it doing all the things that supposedly be should be right. But then they're not and then you're like okay but so it's like what's the it thing you know it's what's an aura that? thing i yeah, like it's that.
3: aura it's 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 that's interesting and then still for, i mean that can be different for everybody i i i know people who thought like maverick didn't didn't hit them on a on a didn't hit a special note with them i mean
0: i was one of those people yeah exactly yes. that's <laughs> where i wanted to go yeah <laughs> how's that yeah. But maybe it's because I was... Because it very much feels like you get this response to Top Gun Maverick if you have this connection to Tom Cruise himself and his Mm -hmm. whole life story and his career as an actor. And I don't really have that that much, so maybe... It's an
1: entirely a meta movie, that's true. But at the same time, it's a movie about a guy that is incapable of expressing one simple thing. It's a moment of regret in his life, you know? It's kind of like fleshed out in the film. And then they do it by doing the acts of (laughs) flying a jet
0: plane. Yeah, fantastic. (laughs) I mean, I like the movie, don't get me wrong. I I enjoyed it. I just did not understand why it was nominated for six Oscars. That was just a step too far for me, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think I could make the case that... Okay, first of all, on the technical level, here's a film that makes you believe. That I understand, yes. But then also on the story level, I was believing. And maybe, Mm. you know, with the Oscars, it's an entire genre in itself, you know? Like making an... You know, you have the Oscar bait as as kind of a description of a kind of movie that would do well with the Academy voting uh, body. And... Here's a film that also plays a kind of lip service, but does it in a way that I am believing. And there's many Oscar nominated films that I don't believe. One of the stronger ones in recent years that actually won Best Picture is a film like Green Book, where you're wondering... What the fuck is going on? Yes. Uh, <laughs> how are we so delusional that, was, that we believe that no. this is you know the I remember like the Oscar ceremony and then the day after I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna see Green Book to actually yeah, no. f- like see what the hell this is all about I'm sitting in the cinema and like this fucking stinks guys. <laughs> this is so fucking bad
0: yeah, I agree. <laughs>
1: But I uh, I have so I have those gripes with uh our, our like talking about controversial Oscar winners. I have those gripes with uh Damien Chazelle as well and and La La Land. Uh, oh, I believe La La Land, right? <laughs> La La I love La La Land. Okay, like. that's I was interesting. A I love in it, it in too. It. And I hate yeah. musicals.
2: Like I I can't stand them, but La La Land just took me away. (laughs) That's
1: so interesting because that's a film that I can't stand because I'm like, I'm distrustful of that film in a strange way. It's hard to put in words as well, but I just feel that it's. There's no imminent
3: death. That's. No, that's. Well, eventually, kind (laughs) of. I think
0: maybe what I'm hearing now, a difference between how we like or watch movies. Mm -hmm. I like films like La La Land that don't even pretend that a film is real. Mm -hmm. And they really go with it. They're like, a film's not real. You're not watching reality. And we go into a totally different way. We do things that can't happen in real life, Mm -hmm. which arguably Mission Impossible also can't happen in real life. But, um, (laughs) which is... (laughs) That's th- those are the kinds of films no, that I totally like right. actively like I'm telling you a story I'm not telling you reality but I think no, but what
3: Hugo and I really agree and I'm just going to put words in your mouth is <laughs> that <laughs> it's not necessarily that we want the movie to be real no. it's the fact that it isn't real but makes you feel something that is real mm. and that's what mm-hmm. I really like about, about the whole cruise thing and sp- and that's something that you've I've confused some for some weird reason feel G force while watching Top Gun Maverick. <laughs>
1: no, and it's like I think I can even make it more specific because now it gets interesting. Um, finally, <laughs> finally, I, <laughs>
0: an hour I, in, I, I yeah. I want
1: a film to like. I don't need a film to like. What you say is true, and I think there's a difference in taste there. But ultimately, what I want. And what I want to see conveyed is that the film itself also believes. I want to believe in some way whatsoever, but I want the film to believe with me. And that is maybe the thing that I am missing too much. Okay. I and understand that. So this is still yeah. about Jesus and faith. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is the thing. That is okay. the thing. You know, if if movies if for us are like the, the temple, the you new know, church, yeah. like then I want to actually not be Bamboozled into, you know, a sermon. I want to actually feel that the sermon comes right from the heart, and that is then maybe what. And that comes back to the sentimentality thing. I love sentimentality when the film itself also believes it, and that will immediately make me cry because but I want to believe with the film. And if they give it to me, I'm like, yes, okay, let's fucking go. Then
3: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of try to connect oh, uh, the an anecdote from. Uh, so we were both in Cannes this year. You w- didn't go to the uh, rendezvous. Oh no, rendezvous was last year, right? The rendezvous with Cruise was last. Oh yeah, year. I wasn't yeah. there. No, so you mean, weren't there. Yeah. A friend of mine went there, and he's a, he's a big. Well, he's he's this on the same level as our sort of fandom and our appreciation of the the strange icon that the man is in this a uh, temple or church of ours. Um,
0: the man being Tom Cruise. The man yeah. being Tom
3: Cruise yeah. not my friend. He could be though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but still, he was sitting there and um, so this this so this typical rendezvous with somebody interview uh, blasé questions, yeah. not really what gra- diving it? into what like, like are you with uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Or like <laughs> are you still seeing Katie Holmes? And uh, no, not those questions. <laughs> But he said, like, okay, so first of all, there's a guy coming on, on stage who is 160. Yeah. Like he's an
2: incredibly a short man. Yeah, he's so not it's not a towering yeah, he's figure. Like, he's like, I think Danny
3: DeVito no. and him are almost the same height. Uh, which is strange because you, it's movie magic, he's a it's, Yeah, yeah he's, The magnetism of this man is he, there is a presence. So it must be a, at and least the, the guy that's 180.
1: And the convenient camera <laughs> position. Exactly, so yeah.
3: uh, and a small box that he can stand on. Um, but he said, like, so the interview starts, and after like three questions. The interview just becomes this sort of loop of him saying, I am here for people's entertainment. And like the, the entire thing, and people yeah. should look this video up, the way he accepts his MTV award for, I think it's for Top Gun Maverick, is him flying an airplane and saying like, I'm doing this for you yeah, and like, exactly. uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, see, And that's what the thing that you see say you to moves. movies. And then he does a small yeah, looping, is which b- is b- just b- fucking baller, but also like you are so aware of your weird role or but then like the friend of mine said like what happens when you're watching him is you're starting to wonder is there still anything else is there behind the role that he now found for himself is there really a guy still in the jacket or in the, in the shell yeah, that okay. is the icon of Cruz. Is there a real self still there? Or has he now become this... Sec- he's sacrificing himself for the art because he doesn't have anything
1: else yeah. anymore. Is he like the Son or the Holy Spirit is basically <laughs> the question. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, Because it relates to what you said, like, will he die in the armor, right? Yeah. Maybe he even really wants that because... There's nothing left.
1: I generally believe that he. I wants have to. the feeling
3: that he has just become a reflecting pool of what we demand of him, and that's what he gives back to us, like this visceral blend of cinema. But behind, behind the curtain, there's not behind the mask in Eyes white shut. There's not a real man anymore, or a se- or a real self. I mean, uh, maybe I'm making this, no, I'm no, projecting no. this already, also onto him, but. The, the friend of mine like really succinctly said like it's so strange that there is you can't and of course such an interview doesn't really allow that you, there's nothing to latch onto there's no human behind the cruise which is so <laughs> odd but then again maybe that's fine because that's him being there for us yeah even though that's sad for him just as cruise himself
1: wow um, sorry about this no it's <laughs> good <laughs> It's good because it gets at the heart of celebrity. Yeah. You know, it's w- the raw I material. I wonder
0: if this is what makes him the last movie star. So is this what is necessary to be a movie star? Like a it's true movie like, star? But it's
1: just as tragic as the career in the nineteenth and 20, 2000s of Britney Spears was and how the mm. demise of mm. Michael yeah. Jackson was and of many other people. Like, you, you have to be almost... Of like, it is a Napoleonic almost enterprise to move mountains like that, be it through, you know, in Napoleon it's the realm of the politics and here it's the realm of culture and entertainment, but it's the same struggle nonetheless. And it is ultimately always a tragic position as we once had the court jester, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, exactly now we have these kind of like fallen icons that have to have the weight of the world seemingly for them on their shoulders and yeah i guess the it really then depends on which avenues you can find within your career to channel that in a way that still seems to make sense and maybe that is the lasting power at this point of him that he's found those through the Mission Impossible movies, through uh, Top Gun Maverick, through a couple of other things, maybe, um, and maybe that is all we can wish for because, the, like, it's the same with you know, I think Britney Spears is a good comparison. Like, th- people are also trying to take away the places where she can express that meta level. And then there's nothing left except for the tragic figure. And then that just has this spiraling trajectory. Um, So this this sense of control is very important. And maybe he has mastered at this point the art of being still in control of who the vehicle of Tom Cruise is, as if he is the (laughs) jet plane himself, you know? (laughs) He's piloting himself at this point, maybe.
0: But it sounds like he found that control by completely letting go of himself. Right? Yeah,
1: and ultimately maybe wanting to sad. like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, no, but there
3: is, but there is a there's a, there's a great deal of sadness that yeah. Th- yeah. I think that if if it if that wasn't there, I don't think we would be talking about him today. Yeah, yeah. I agree.
0: I think what I'm what I mean is that because we're s- sad for him, but we're also sad about the fact that he is the last movie star and that other people yeah. are not giving us this. So, do we want? Our stars to give themselves up for their I art think that's a for us sword because
3: in a, in a sense like the the thing that the industry has done or the way that they handle stars might in a sense be better for them although it doesn't necessarily bring us the same vibes or or or, or magnetism that that or yeah or that yeah that strange. Uh, s- ethereal thing that we can look up to as Cruise would do. So maybe it's better for people, but maybe it's not necessarily better for the art. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy that says you need to fucking die for your art and that's the only way you can make art. N- not at all, but...
1: But isn't it amazing and that could be kind of like a concluding thought. Isn't it amazing that we're still repeating patterns that are like he has a messiah complex and we're like... It's as if cinema is thrusting us back two thousand years in the past. You know, this kind of like we have all these kind of like micro Jesuses walking around in the twentieth and twenty first century that have that seemingly same weight. Isn't that also just what makes everything that we do more human? It makes me understand religion more actually um, in a in a kind of like historic uh, perspective. And I'm I can only be. I don't want to lament the things as they are or the things that aren't because we have to do with the facts that we have. You know, this is the state of cinema now and we have Mm -hmm. at least one person here that is doing his crazy shit to actually make (laughs) movies that are worthwhile to buy. I mean, the stakes are also like, it's just about having a film in the summer that you want to spend 15 bucks (laughs) for to actually go and see. But that already feels like an integral part of life that we at least have a movie that we want to see every year. I don't know, it's as simple as that. So it actually comforts me as well that this is the loop that we're in because then I think "Ah, that's then just humanity and this is just one example of it. Somehow it gives me comfort to know that we can never escape those uh, problems almost and then we can just at least celebrate the people that actually make the most of it. Wow. Wow.
0: Wow. (laughs) That got very existential. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, I guess I'll be spending my summer watching all uh, Tom Cruise films then.
1: As we all do. (laughs)
0: If you want to dive back into Cruz's work, in honor of Bar Strange Loves reopening, Lab is screening the 1988 film Cocktail, starring Tom Cruise, for which you can now find tickets in our show notes or visit lab111.nl. In case you missed it, last episode we talked about influential filmmaker Werner Herzog, who incidentally played opposite Cruise in Jack Reacher. Make sure to listen to it if you haven't yet. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on and share so more people can find us. Make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with all new releases. If you want to join the conversation, feel free to send any questions at celebratingcinema at lab111.nl and follow us at lab 11 on Instagram. As always, we provide show notes, including all films mentioned at celebratingcinema.com, This was a Lab 111 production, edited and produced by Yvonne GC, with music from Hugo Emmerzaal and artwork by Studio FFF. Bye!